this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Andrea Blythe, co-host of New Books and Poetry, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, we're speaking with Emily Skasia about her new book, Brute. For those of you who don't know her or her work, here's a little bit of background. Emily Skasia was born and raised in rural Illinois. Her first book, Brute, won the Walt Whitman Award from the Academy of American Poets and was published by Grey Wolf Press in 2019. She holds an MFA from Purdue University and a PhD from, in creative writing and literature from the University of Cincinnati. Emily is also the recipient of a 2019 Literature Fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts, and her poems have been published in Best New Poets, Blackbird, Crazy Horse, Field, and Gulf Coast, among other journals. She is also the poetry co-editor of Southern Indiana Review, and she lives in Memphis. Hi, Emily. Thank you for being on the show. Absolutely. Hi. Nice to be here. So I generally like to start at the beginning. And basically, I would like to know a bit about how you first connected with poetry as a reader and as a writer. Oh, um, I, I guess I was always a writer and probably more of a reader than anything else. Um, but I didn't start writing poetry until I got to college. And then I had a really wonderful poetry professor, who, um, Dr. Stephen Freck, who, who took me under his wing and sort of told me very dramatically when I was 19 that I was a poet. <laughs> so then from there, um, you know, that my, my ego was served and then I, could, I felt like I could take myself seriously because someone else had already taken me seriously as a poet. So that helped me a lot. Um, and then I you know, I I wrote poetry. I did um, uh, a couple of different graduate programs in poetry. Um, And then I felt like I was ready to start sending stuff out when I was about 28, which was during my MFA program. So that's kind of like the abridged history, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, who were some of like your early authorial influences, poets that you inspired you as you got started as a writer? I really loved uh, Leong Lee's The City in Which I Love You. That was one of my favorite poems. Um, and I also really loved, I can't think of who the poet is. This is so weird. I think it's, um, there's a French poet that my roommate in college is also a poet uh, and I were obsessed with. And I think it's Eve Bonifoy. And he had this line in a poem that was, um, didn't we have summer to cross? 
And so my roommate and I became obsessed with this particular line. And we used to just like shout it at each other across campus when we ran into each other. And um, I guess that love for language has always been there. But um, those were two really important poets to me initially. And then from there, I, um, I kind of have been obsessed with Anne Carson for a very long time. <laughs> and I also really love Lucy Brock Broido because she makes me feel like anything is possible with language. And so those are uh, a couple of the poets that I was really obsessed with at the time and that I continue to be obsessed with now that I'm reading um, more widely than that. Yeah. Um, I generally ask people about their experience in their MFA program, but you didn't just go for your MFA. You went for a full on PhD in writing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, could you talk a bit about your experience of um, basically going through the MFA and making the decision to go for a PhD and um, kind of like the, the benefits you feel that it brought to you as a writer, those going through those programs? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was a real glutton for punishment. I did MA, MFA, PhD. So all the optional ones really. <laughs> and I guess when I did an MA, it was because I was kind of lost in the woods after college. Um, and I didn't really know what to make of myself. And so I just sort of flung myself at the first thing. And that was somewhat disastrous Uh, because I moved by myself to Philadelphia and had never lived in a big city and had never lived by myself or been separated from my entire family before. And so it was a really isolating experience. And um, it was while I lived in Philadelphia that many terrible things happened to me that I describe in my book. So that was not a good, that was not a good experience on the whole. Um, And then, you know, I... Uh, a few years later, um, I went, I did an MFA, uh, let's see, so I guess I would be like four years after that program ended, I decided to go back and do an MFA. And that was an amazing experience because I met these women who were in my cohort who are, um, who remain some of my best friends. And having that really supportive network of women around me proved to be the exact thing that I needed in order to uh, address all these vulnerable things that I needed to talk about in my poems. So the MFA was kind of perfect, and I um, I loved it a lot. I went to Purdue, and I worked with Marianne Baruch and Mary Leader and Don Platt, and they just nurtured me and, and made me feel like, um, I don't know, just that, that I had something important to say and that there were that they knew how to educate me to bring that out in me in full. Um, and then I kind of, I kind of went to the PhD, uh, not because I really wanted a PhD. In fact, I just, it was similar kind of why I did the MA. I just felt kind of lost after the MFA. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. I, my book wasn't finished and I kind of approached it as if I was like, going into the witness protection program rather than going into a graduate program because I was like, no one will find me here. Like, I won't have to participate in the actual world. I can hide in academia for four more years. Um, but in fact, uh, doing a PhD, as it turns out, is really hard and not at all like just hiding out. Um, so <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it to everybody. Um, but one thing that it did, it did help 
me return to is just this basic love of reading. And uh, I had to, you know, there's during your exam year, the way that um, it works in the program is that you, you choose your two topics, and then you have to read 100 books in that year just on those topics. And that's how you develop your expertise. And so I picked um, trauma writing. Uh, and then I, I also picked uh, feminist poets, uh, like American feminist poets of the 20th and 21st century. And so there was a lot of overlap in those two lists, which was very interesting. But reading through this history of other women speaking about trauma or just speaking honestly about their lives was something that was really powerful for me. And I think that that is eventually the thing that informed, um, that helped me finish my book, basically. Like, I, I got a certificate in the women's studies program uh, in my, during my PhD, and so was taking all these classes in feminism, and it added a depth to my book that hadn't been there before and helped me understand more of the power dynamics that I was obsessed with that I kept writing about. Um, and so... That is the silver lining of doing a PhD is that it, you know, the reading of it is amazing. But I also think that um, it's just as valid to be an avid reader outside of academia and to read deeply, as long as you have someone mentoring you who can direct your reading. um, That's like the best part of academia, I guess. But now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm like, man, (laughs) it's just so much of my time and energy. I'm really glad that it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Like there should be like a a spa year after doing a PhD where you just like, I don't know, eat marshmallows and take baths and don't think about anything at all. (laughs) That would be the best way to do it, I think. Some chill time, some downtime. (laughs) So Brute, it sounds like, has been in the work for a long time. Can you talk about how that book came into being and kind of your process of writing the poems in the book and putting it together? Yeah, it took me about five years to write it. And I didn't have an idea about the book at the outset at all. I was just writing poems about things that were bothering me, um, about my personal memories that were bothering me. And it took me a really long time to understand the scope of the book. And it was it was really challenging because in order to figure out what my book was about, I kind of had to figure out what my life was about. And it was really hard to go back and examine all of my own memories and look at them in the light of an older, wiser version of myself who knew things that the younger, sillier version of myself didn't yet know. Um, So I wrote the book in different stages, um, though it's not, you know, the poems aren't arranged chronologically or linearly or anything like that. But um, some of the poems are younger than others in their understanding of um, abuse and and, um, power dynamics between people. So 
Um, I started writing it probably at the beginning of my MFA. And then the first time I thought the book was done was in 2015. And I was really wrong about that. (laughs) It was like one third done. And then then, um, I did a lot of wandering in the wilderness for a couple of years. And I tried a bunch of different things um, that didn't work on the book. And then Uh, In the last year that I was writing it, which would have been, I think, 2017, I had this epiphany that, um, or maybe it was 27, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I had this this epiphany that um, I, I became obsessed with the word brute. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll write a whole series of poems with that word in it because it's so loaded. It has all this masculine aggression in it. You know, this is a word that we throw at men that we think of as being animalistic or uh, incapable of thoughtfulness or tenderness. And I was really interested in that. And so um, while I was writing this whole series of poems with the word brute in it, then I thought, well, I have all these poems that don't work. Maybe I could revise those poems and put the word brute in those poems and see what it does. And I found that it really, it made the project new to me again in a way that it hadn't been for a long time. And so that was really helpful for me. So then after I came out with the, um, I came up with the series of poems with Brute in them, I thought, well, maybe that is the title of my book. Um, and then from there, I kind of, I rearranged it a couple of times, but it was basically done as of that point. But it just took forever for me to get to that point. And I just didn't know. I mean, for a long time, I was like, oh, I'm just writing sad breakup poems. And that's the kind of poet that I am. I'm like the Taylor Swift of poetry. And then <laughs> like, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> it's a great, great identity. But then after a while, I realized that what was bothering me and why I kept going back to it was because I was just full of rage and <laughs> full of like, um, I just felt that things were really unfair. And I also felt panicked and alarmed that this had happened to me and I hadn't noticed or that it was it felt like a gray area when in hindsight it was kind of black and white um and so I just I like thinking about the book outside of being a breakup book or whatever that really that really helped me rethink the book and write my way back into it as an older person than the person who started writing those poems yeah I could see how um the perspective of time and education and learning and all that could uh, could allow you to kind of help gain that perspective. Yeah. In uh, one of your poems, uh, Remarkable Litter of Birds, there was a line I underlined that read, um, everyone, if we're going to talk about love, please, we have to talk about violence. Yeah. And it just kind of, um, like, it stuck out to me as very much of what kind of the book as a whole is kind of about in terms of dealing with violence in these intimate relationships. And, um, and you also mentioned in talking about the PhD program about trauma writing and feminist poets and how that influenced. And I think what I'm um, wondering is how all that comes together in your work and, and dealing with writing about trauma and that sort of thing. And, um, a little more deeply into that aspect, if you could. Yeah, I um, I mean, the interesting thing about, for me, about writing about trauma was that um, 
I, it, it kind of, it, it has its own structure, like um, traumatic memory or um, dwelling on traumatic events has a structure that is sort of circling or it's a spiral or it's fragmented. And I think that, and it's also highly imagistic because you remember things in flashes and you have this deep emotional response to images. And so in a way, I think that that structure lends itself naturally to poetry um, because poetry is also concerned with uh, getting to the bottom of something or, you know, getting, gaining new clarity about something. uh, And it certainly can be fragmented or uh, imagistic. And so I don't know when I was, when I was writing a lot of these poems, sometimes I was writing them um, because the project of the book is really linked to the project of healing myself about my past. And so sometimes when I was writing, it was because I was trying to work through those things in the moment. And then sometimes I was writing because I was trying to understand the choices of a previous self. But I think that, um, I think that writing about trauma is really complicated because it has an obsessive quality to it. And like, I remember more than one person, like when, when the book was just mine and it wasn't out in the world yet, more than one person told me that their experience of reading it was very claustrophobic. And I remember being like, oh, well, that's not good. Um, But also it kind of made sense to me because it was, it was kind of validating also because it was claustrophobic to be traumatized and to be constantly preoccupied with the same ideas or looking at something in a new way and turning it and turning it over. Um, it feels uh, very anxious and um, claustrophobic in my own brain. So it was like, well, good. I'm glad that's coming across in the poems. Um, but yeah, but I don't know. I just, um, I, I like the idea of, I like the idea of trauma leaving its mark on a poem in a way where you can, it's almost like when you read a poem, you can see the mark of the survivor in it. I think it's, it's like you recognize it in someone else. Um, That's the experience that I have in reading poems about traumatic events. Hmm. Yeah. So um, the act of writing the poems you mentioned was, a process of healing for you and the act of reading poems about that experience can can also be an important connection for people as they're as they're coming through it so i'm just interested in this intersection between reader and writer um and the process of healing that that can entail by making that connection yeah i think um I've been really surprised and gratified by the response to the book. I think some part of me was really afraid that, um, I guess that there would be men who would hate this book or whatever. I don't know why, but I was very afraid of being uh, chewed out by men for having dared to write such a book. (laughs) That was my imaginary response. Like, I'm just going to be stoned by men upon this book's publication. Um, but actually, what happened was way more interesting than that. Um, I It's just been really interesting and very moving to hear from other women who have 
gone through experiences like this and have told me about how, like how much the book meant to them. That has been really, really amazing for me to hear. Um, especially because, you know, when you write a book for so long, it just like lives in your mind and it's yours and nobody else knows about it. And then, I don't know, it just, it's very weird for people to know all of your private wounds in poem form. Um, but I, I don't know, it's been, it's been really wonderful to hear from other people who've had similar experiences. Um, would you like to read one of the poems from the collection? Sure. Um, I was thinking that I could read either the first poem or the last poem, maybe. Do you have a preference? Either of those sounds um, lovely to me. I I can remember the name of the last poem, which is Eurydice, which is, I like the mythic quality of that. So maybe that one. Okay. All right. Um, Eurydice. Eurydice, the tree is full of cicadas. I hear them building their city of wet glass, hissing at night when the tree moves like hair, when thousands of their bodies pulse in the low-lit, humid air, pink in the streetlight, when the first drops hit and the line of rain follows like a wall of birds, falls off the whole bird-heavy sky. There comes a point when you have to hold the man responsible for what he did. I have decided it's degrading to say I let him. I say my name into the open cellar covering my eyes. I will lead myself out of it. A tree falls over my door, but I don't touch it. I never could convince myself that the shell of those insects is only a shell. After nine days of rain, I don't walk alone in the fields. I don't pick up the phone when he calls me. How will I know myself? Hell-bitten? Shade? He says, I love only you, and every time a woman I know disappears down the long hallway of a bar with him, I do not say to her, couldn't you trust me that if the man could stand to be loved, I would have done it. Come out into the new wet earth, pull the leaves away from your skin, Eurydice. Ivy on the linden tree, river of pale trash rolling down Asher Hill, gutter flood. I'm here in the hail-trampled yard, bright landscape, our flecked debris. It's ending Eurydice. So I stand in my coat. We're almost a whole shadow now from far away. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's such a beautiful piece. Thank you. Um, and it, uh, it actually ties exactly into my next question, because I, I feel like in general throughout the book, there's kind of this mythic fairy tale quality to the poems. Like the speaker is a character surviving in some sort of surreal fairy tale. <laughs> 
And but at the same time, there these poems are very rooted in the present day world. Like you mentioned, the phone and this last poem and the bar, and that sort of thing. And and I would love if you could talk a little bit about blending that kind of historical mythic feeling while anchoring it in the real world that we know. Yeah, I think um, I I I'm sure this is true for other people too. But as a reader. Um, especially when as a young reader, I was always looking for books that would explain myself to myself. (laughs) Um, Or I was looking for me in literature, and I wanted to know what kinds of stories were possible for someone like me. And in the same way, I think my reaction to trauma was to try and find stories about women who were survivors or women who had to reinvent themselves in order to continue to um, to live in the world and participate in it instead of just disappearing in shock and despair um, from their lives. And so it's like, um, it's like Roxane Gay says, you think you are alone until you read books about girls like you. And I think that um, I was just trying to tell a story about my life where I had more agency and more strength than I did in reality. And as part of that, I kind of came up with this mythic alternate reality where, um, you know, my, my actions could be explained through different means than I was afraid or I was, uh, I had, uh, you know, I was innocent. I was like kind of too innocent for the situation or didn't have enough knowledge of things in order to um, really, I don't know, act on my own behalf or in my own interest. So I guess that I was, um, that's kind of, that's kind of why I, uh, some, I wrote some of these poems and they're engaging with myth in that way. But also um, some of the prose poems in the book, or all of the prose poems in the book, I should say, um, take place in a kind of surreal, slightly slant landscape where it's almost like a dream world. And so the speakers of my poems are not very far removed from me, but the speaker of the prose poems is. It's almost like that's the character me. And so she has experiences that are a little bit off center from reality. And she exists in this sort of like elemental landscape. Um, and she goes through a journey through kind of an, an underworld of her own experience and then comes back up out of it. So, um, I guess in some ways, like the book does take place in the real world, but it also has these elements of the other, because I think that that is, that's true to traumatic experience because you, you know, you're, you're just living your life and you think, you know, what the narrative is of your own life. And then this thing happens where it totally dislodges you from that. And you participate in this underworld for a while. And then you have to kind of figure out who you are after that. Um, and it requires some reinvention on your part. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I guess my explanation. You have prose poems in this book, but you also have a variety of other forms throughout the book. And when you're approaching the writing of a poem, do you come at it with a certain form or structure in mind? Or do you kind of adapt the form and structure to kind of the emotion that you're trying to reflect? I think that um, I typically, 
always think that I am writing a poem in couplets, and that is rarely the case. <laughs> um, so most of my revision is like removing a poem from being in couplets that doesn't belong there. Um, but I think it really depends. I guess I've gone through a number of different stages of writing poems that where certain forms feel really comfortable to me. Like when I was first writing, I had these little tiny lines where you could only fit two or three words on a line. And so the poems that are from that era of my life are very skinny on the page. Um, and then I went through this other phase where I, I felt like I had to blurt something out. And so there are lines that go all the way across the page and they don't have any punctuation whatsoever. Cause it's like, if I don't say this thing, it's just going to explode out of me. And so that's where that kind of formal impulse comes from, I guess. It's almost like, um, like a train that <laughs> just keeps going. Um, but also I think, and then, uh, I was, I was taking this sonnets class for a while, uh, during my PhD program and I became really obsessed with the turn so then for a while, I thought every poem that I was writing was a sonnet. But in fact, it's rarely a sonnet because I don't write very short poems very often. And it's hard for me to cram whatever it is I need to say into 14 lines. Um, but I don't know. There are just some structures that feel like default to me. And then usually I have to go back through and fix them afterward to be more reflective of the mood or the tone of the poem now that I have read the poem and I know what it's about, I can kind of go back through and figure out how it needs to be formatted. Um, but in other ways, sometimes I just uh, structure a poem based on how I hear it. And so if there's a lot of pausing in the poem uh, or a lot of wondering in the poem, then I'll space it out. For a while, I was writing these poems that were like, uh, like one example would be... Um, in March When You Tell Me You Don't, which is in the first section of the book, that poem starts very slowly and it has all these stops in the first part of it. The first three lines are end stopped, end stopped, and then they have all, you know, it's like f even phrases are stopped. And then there's a dash in the third line and then the poem takes off kind of at a run. And so I don't know. I was doing that for a long time. And I, I started thinking about, well, I think that it's because like, I've, I felt like I had to hesitate. I wasn't ready to say what I wanted to say, or I wasn't sure. And then it's almost like I figured out what I needed to say. And then it all came out in a rush. It's like a faucet being flipped on, um, in the poem. So it starts with a drip and then it just goes. So I think, I don't know. That was like, uh, you know, the default structure that I was using for a long time. But sometimes you have to, I don't know, go back and edit out the things that you put in the poem when you weren't sure about it uh, with like kind of the wisdom of revision. Also, one of the best things about revision is that like you're not in the dark anymore about your own poem. <laughs> like when you first start writing, you're like, oh, well, this could be anything. Who knows? <laughs> and then toward the end, it's like, oh, this this makes more sense. I can understand how this fits into the rest of it. Yeah. Do you edit copiously? Do you edit? Yeah. I, I love revision. I hate drafting. <laughs> it's like, you know, I just have to, I have to compile a bunch of stuff in order to, you know, I feel like a magpie of a poet. Like I just, I pile a bunch of stuff into a notebook or a document, like images or the rhythm of something that I almost heard once or 
the story of something that's been bothering me or whatever it is. And then when I am in my poetry mood, <laughs> my poetry frame of mind or whatever, I don't know, the magic part of poetry that descends on you, like a, you know, a mask or whatever, cape very dramatically, then I can go back through and I can kind of see which parts of things kind of talk to each other. And then I combine them. Um, and that's usually how I write poems is like a collaging kind of style. Um, and I'll put something in and then later I'll think like, no, that doesn't go in this poem that goes somewhere else. Um, and so I don't know, I rarely write a poem where I think, Oh, I'd like to write a poem about this subject and have this epiphany at the end. Like, <laughs> I can't do that. I can't plan a poem. I just, I find myself in the middle of it and I'm sorting things into piles. Oh, no. It's just, I really admire people who think, oh, I, you know, this is such a beautiful field. I'd like to meditate on this field in a poem. I could never do that. <laughs> I have no idea how to do it. <laughs> that seems so counterintuitive to me. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I'm always writing a poem from, the wrong side of it you know like I have the pieces and I'm like there's a poem in here I just have to figure out how it goes but I don't know it's just a weird thing I guess <laughs> well you magpie them beautifully <laughs> <laughs> um would you like to read another poem from the collection sure um okay so I read the last poem I guess I could read the first poem there you go We'll do it in reverse. Yeah, do it in reverse. That's perfect, really. I didn't even plan that. <laughs> okay, so this is, this is the first poem in the book. My history as. In my history, I was bones eating paper or I was paper eating bones. Semantics. I lived in a narrow house. I lived with a man who said, you fucked up your own life. Who said, I could never love someone so heavy. The place was brick on brick with iron grates covering the windows. Row house, cage, South Philly. I was learning how some of us are made to be carrion birds, and some of us are made to be circled. Somewhere in this education, I stopped eating. Held up my hands to see if my bones would glow in the dark. My boat name could have been HMS Floating, though barely. Meanwhile, I had a passion for cartography, not leaving, just coloring the maps. I covered all the walls with white paint, whiter paint, spiraling out, a weather system curling over water. I always drew the compass rose flat. I was metal blue. I was running my mouth like a bathtub tap, a bone picked clean of particulates. Everything has some particular science. By its nature, a vulture can't be a common field crow, for instance. Look at the wings. Look at that hard mouth. Look at the feet. When I tell my history, I can't leave out how I hit that man in the jaw, that I wasn't good at mercy, that eating nothing but white pills and white air made me unchartable. I can't skip to the end just to say, well, it was fragile and I smashed it and everything's over. Well, now I know things that make me unlikely. What am I supposed to say? I'm free? I learned to counter like a torn edge frayed from the damp. That's how I left it. Leaving the river, 
leaving wet tracks arrowed in the brush. I love um, the way this particular poem explores um, the way language defines things and the way we attempt to write our our own histories or the stories that we tell about ourselves um, in general. Um, How did this particular poem come about? Um, Yeah, I think... I think that's very, that's very wise. I think that um, this poem addresses many of the themes that come up in the rest of the book. And in a way, it's almost like, I don't want to say it's like my er poem, but like, (laughs) you know, like it has all these, these things that I am that or I was very worried about in all of my poems. It's like got a little piece of everything in it, um, which is why I promoted it to being the first poem in the book. But Um, writing the poem was actually really weird and different from that process. I, um, I was writing a poem that was, uh, it had, it had all of these things in it. It had all of these, it had this story in it. It had the central question in it. Um, but the way that I was telling it, I felt like wasn't really working and I was writing it. I think it, I'm not sure what year, I think, well, it doesn't matter, but I was writing it during my MFA and, um, I wrote this version of it that was just for me, but at the time I was in this really contentious poetry workshop where everyone hated each other. <laughs> like it was, it was really tense. And, um, at the time I felt like I knew what everyone else was going to hate about the poem. Uh, that I had written. And so I thought, well, maybe I will just troll everyone in this workshop and I will add one line to please everyone so that they can't say that they hate it for all the reasons why I like it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I deliberately went through and sort of like Frankensteined this poem and put things in it that I thought people would like. Like, for example, it wasn't uh, it wasn't like wry or ironic in tone originally. It was very serious. Um, and so I put that joke about the boat in it for Marianne Baruch, who loves that kind of thing. You know, it's like, Marianne will think this is wacky. She's going to love it. So I put that in there for her. Um, you know, somebody else in the workshop was obsessed with birds as I was obsessed with birds. So I thought, well, I'll just put a bird in this poem. Um, and we'll see how it goes from there. Uh, and then, I don't know, I just went through little by little and subtly changed things um, to appeal to people. And one of the primary things that I had to change was um, explaining the context of the poem. And this was something that I really struggled with uh, when I was first writing poems, because I just didn't want to tell anybody what I meant by anything. <laughs> I wanted it to be secret and coded and embedded for people who were in the know. And it was like kind of a hipster approach to poetry uh, that I really embraced at the time. Um, and I think it's just because, I don't know, you don't want to tell someone the the deepest part of your um, your past or whatever. Like You don't want to just like expose that to the air. So... I was in a way kind of hiding in my poems and I was always interested in metaphor and language, but I was sort of using them as 
cloaks for whatever it was that I was really writing about. And since all of my poems were kind of about the same thing, um, it seemed to me like everyone should just know that all, you know, all these metaphors refer to this deep secret that I have. Um, and so I had to kind of work myself out of that. That was a huge challenge for me. And people kept saying like, this is really lovely, but I have no idea what you mean by this. And that's the thing that about metaphors, like if you don't explain the part of the metaphor, like it can't just be like um, a beautiful image. It has to be like, why does this resonate with the particular story you're telling? You know, like you have to explain things properly. And um, so anyway, that was a really hard lesson I had to learn as a poet. And it felt so wrong and awkward whenever I would do it. I'd be like, you know, I'm about to tell you this like sweeping metaphorical version of events. And then I have to be like, <clears throat> it was Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, I gotta, like, spell out. <laughs> like, it was the third house on the right, you know, like. Um, so anyway, I just felt silly about it. But that was one of the things that I tried to do in this poem was say like you know I lived in a narrow house this were these were the circumstances under which the following things were said to me that kind of thing um and so anyway so when I I put that in there because the workshop was inevitably going to tell me like great poem no idea what it's about next you know so <laughs> anyway so I put all this to say I put all these things in this poem to troll the workshop but then in the end I felt very smug about it at the time and then it was it was like the most successful poem I'd ever written. And so it was like, I played myself, you know, like they were all right. <laughs> like everything that I put in the poem to make it like appeal to them also appealed to everybody else. And so then it was like, okay, well, clearly I, my ego needs to be removed from this equation because I need to hear this advice that I've been getting. So anyway, and I told Marianne Bruce about it after workshop and she was so disturbed. She was like, why did you do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> her, like, like poetry was like this pure process where you, you know, you get touched by the muse and then you write it down. And I had been like, well, this catty person is going to say this. So I'm going to say this other thing anyway. So, um, sometimes being a jerk, uh, in, in poetry workshop leads to <laughs> revelations that are totally necessary for your book. Um, just a, just a note of caution. But anyway, so that's that's how this particular poem came about. And I certainly don't have any other poem in the book that I wrote just to be smug. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a delightful story. Um, <laughs> um, what kind of projects are you working on now? Are you um, starting to build towards another book or exploring other avenues of writing? Well, I'm currently writing a YA novel, which I've been wanting to do for a really long time. Um, but, you know, I had these little things get in the way, like I had to write a dissertation first, which, you know, took up a lot of my time, <laughs> surprisingly. Um, and then, I don't know, I just, I really wanted to write fiction because, I just didn't have anything else I wanted to say about my own life. After writing this book, I was like, and now um, that I've exposed my vulnerable little self to the air, I would like to retire for a hundred years into a cave. Um, but I guess writing fiction, it's, it feels a little more exciting to me because um, although I've, I've written short stories before, I have never tried to write anything that is the length of a novel. 
And I love this idea of just making up whatever I want um, to, to happen to these characters. And so I'm really excited about it. And I've been doing all this research into it like a nerd. Um, and that's been really lovely too. But so far, um, I don't know. It's, it's a totally different process than writing poetry and there's more planning from, I mean, in my experience, I don't, I don't know how real fiction writers do it, but um, there's a lot of planning involved at the outset. I have to come up with all this stuff. And so I don't know, but I like, I like escaping into the planning of it. It feels new and exciting. And um, I'm really happy that I have this thing that I'm working, uh, working into or writing into right now. I, I did think after coming up with the book, I was like, and that was that. And now I will never write again. (laughs) No idea where to go from here. You know, it's like you, you spend your whole life writing the first book and then a year later or three months later, people are like, and when's your next book coming out? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Who knows? It was a miracle that I got the first one out. Um, But anyway, it feels sort of freeing to sort of disappear into fiction for a minute because I don't know. I think because nobody expects a poet to be really good at fiction. So in a way, it's almost like, you know, they'll never find me here. It's sort of like the <laughs> PhD thing. It's like, if if it turns out that I can write fiction, that will be a delightful surprise. And it will make me feel like, um, you know, I have more than one kind of brain or more than one kind of artistic sensibility, I guess. And so I think I'm writing it just to prove to myself that I can, which is probably a better goal than like, you know, I'm, I'm writing it because I want other writers to think that I'm cool or whatever. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Awesome. Awesome. I wish you the best of luck with that. Um, to wrap up, would you like to share something you're reading or some form of media that you're loving or finding inspiring right now? Yes. Um, in the process of trying to write fiction, I've been reading a lot of fiction. And so um, I guess I would say that I really recommend, um, let's see, I made a little list in case you asked me books that I'm reading. Um, so some books that I really enjoyed were, um, there is this book by Naomi Novik called Spinning Silver. Um, and it's a it's sort of like a fairy tale retelling of the Rumpelstiltskin story, but it is creepy and feminist and disturbing and just really, really dark. And I loved it. Um, I also recently read, um, my dark Vanessa by Kate Russell, which comes out in January. And that book destroyed me. Um, I think that, uh, it's, it's a really interesting look at the gray area between um, sort of like passionate love or fate and predation. Like um, it, it looks really heavily at desire, but also at manipulation. And it, it's, I don't know, it's just really, really well done. And it, it emotionally affected me. And after I read it, I, I was just, I was floored. So anyway, I would really recommend that one. And then um, I also, uh, in in January, I think, I read Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls by T. Kira Madden. 
that book is really powerful also. And I cried through most of it. I would really recommend it. All these books, I'm like, these books destroyed me in a good way, though. I like that. I also, um, last week, I finished reading Sabrina and Karina, the um, book of short stories. It was, uh, it's on the National Book Award list. It's really, really good. Um, So many stories about violence and um, women trying to tell their own story on their own terms and the complicated relationships between sisters or mothers and daughters. Um, I was just really um, blown away by that book also. So those are a couple of things that I've been reading, but I could go on and on and on, but I feel like those are some books that I would recommend currently. That's awesome. I, I have a longer TBR list now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been absolutely delightful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to discuss this episode, one of the places you can do so is on Shuffle, a new ad-free social media network that is centered around engaging conversation. I personally love the use of categorizations that I can zero in on the things I'm passionate about. Shuffle is currently invite-only, and if you would like to join, you can do so at www.shuffle.do slash nbn slash join. That's www.shuffle.do slash nbn slash join. And I will put a link in the show notes as well. This is New Books and Poetry, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. 